Get to Old Navy today. All tees, all shorts, and all dresses are on sale now for 50% off. That's right. Get 50% off all tees, 50% off all shorts, and 50% off all dresses. Get the styles you want most right now with shorts from just $12 for adults, $8 for kids. Tees started just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. Don't miss out. Hurry into Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 619 to 626. Excludes in-store clearance, active, licensed, men's packaged, flag styles. Welcome to the Masogi Method with work happiness expert Jody B. Miller. Each week, Jody interviews amazing people who have broken through huge barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. For each of us, the path to lasting happiness has always been there, but it may take a Masogi to get you on it. Here's your host, Jody B. Miller. Welcome to the Masogi Method, breaking through barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness that lasts. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller. Today's guest is an inspiration, not only to me as an entrepreneur at heart, but I believe will also be for all of our listeners who are seeking to redefine the possible in their lives. A very warm welcome to Brian Clark, who's the founder and CEO of Rainmaker Digital, founder of Copyblogger, host of the top-ranked podcast, Unemployable, and curator of Further. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jody. It's great to be here. Okay, so you've done a lot in your career so far. I mean, much if not all of it came directly from you. Well, I guess because I put myself in that position, that that seems to be true. (laughs) (laughs) It's really impressive. But, you know, it's so interesting to see how people start out. I mean, you went to undergrad, Texas A&M, then you went to law school. Now, I'm going to say you probably practiced law for a while. I practiced law in the big law firm environment for about four years, and uh, I quickly figured out that two things, I think. I hated practicing law, and I hated working for other people which is not a good situation for staying in a big law firm. <laughs> so, <definitely> not. <laughs> yeah, so after four years, I left. And then I continued to practice law um, once I started, uh, you know, getting into publishing online in 1998. Uh, I had this first business I started, and it's the only business I've ever had that failed. But, um, you know, I was quickly kind of running out of money, and I, and I, kind of, and I figured out in 99 – uh, I read a book by Seth Godin um, called Permission Marketing. And, he, you know, that that was it for me. That was a light bulb. You know, he basically said the Internet is a different form of direct marketing medium, uh, but you don't buy lists. You build audiences by providing value. Um, and then you sell stuff. You know, that was the big takeaway because I was trying to, you know, do advertising like everyone else at that time. And I was like, oh, okay, so what do I have to sell? And really all I had was, a law degree so I could sell legal services. And that just took off. I mean, if you know anything about young attorneys, they're not the ones, the rainmakers, you know know where the company name came from, uh, that bring in the business. So they therefore have to rely on the partners and do the work um, in order to justify their salaries. But if you start bringing business in, then your stature in the firm rises. Well, if you're a solo attorney, you of course have to, uh, eat what you kill, as they put it. Well, you, you know what you sound, Brian, you sound exactly like my past life as an investment banker. And it's the rainmakers that make the difference. And there's a lot of eat what you kill. <laughs> so it's That's very right. similar. 
<laughs> That's how you know Brad Feld, by the way. I'm in Boulder, so I saw yes. that he wrote the forward to your book. Yes, he is definitely a rainmaker. <laughs> yes, he is. And I was going to ask you if you knew Brad. I met Brad when I was a media tech banker, and he was with SoftBank. Yeah. And we really hit it off because we had similar backgrounds. And when I wrote the book, um, I just called him up. I said, hey, Brad, would you write the forward? He goes, you bet. <laughs> so, yeah. He's a really good guy. Really good guy. So I like to just really have a great conversation about who you are as a person, Brian. And a lot of our listeners are going to want to know how you started Copy Blogger, right? But I want to know more why. Why did you leave law? Is it because you j just hated law or is it because you, there was something else calling you? At the time, I thought it was just a dislike for the practice of law. The odd thing about it was, you know, not to blow my own horn, but I was good at it. You know, my wife, who remains an attorney, always said I was one of the best attorneys she knew when she met me. Um, but if you don't enjoy it, it's, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. But then after I, I took some time away, um, you know, it took some time to reflect back on it. Uh, I really, I had no entrepreneurial impulses whatsoever until the day I decided to quit and start a business. And that was really driven more by the internet, which was in a commercial place for about only four years. And I was just so fascinated by it. And it just seemed like there had to be a, a way to make a living reaching all these people. And that was married to my desire to write, which as you know, every frustrated attorney wants to be a writer. Right, <laughs> so true. <laughs> so, but I, I just, again, I had this, I don't know, I guess I have a problem with authority or asking permission. I just, if I can do something without asking anyone, I'm happy at that point. So, you know, the idea of New York uh, publishing or, or Hollywood screenplays, again, you basically have to, you know, get someone else to say you're doing something good in order to make a living uh, instead of just going direct to the end person and having them vote with their dollars. And to me, that just was attractive. Um, so I later realized, and I've said this several times, that uh, I thought I wanted to be a writer, which made me an entrepreneur. And then I realized once I got into it, I was an entrepreneur who could write. But that just wasn't a realization I ever had beforehand. Well, let me ask you, um, when I just did it, my TEDx talk, and I want to talk to you about public speaking down the road, too. I don't want to forget about that. Um, I asked people to go back to their childhood to think about something they loved that maybe they just forgot about or something they somehow came into their life in terms of their career. Is there anything in your childhood that you did or were involved with or played or whatever that that came into being as you started your entrepreneurial path man this is about to open a whole can of worms uh -oh. this, is, this is something else i kind of it took me about 40 years to realize um but so i was adopted um at birth uh basically nice. my uh birth parents who i've never looked up and really don't have a desire to um kind of like steve jobs yeah, I mean, it, it, that's interesting. Um, I think Steve Jobs had emotional issues that drove him, and some would say that all entrepreneurs or driven people have something in their childhood that they're trying to compensate for. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually explored this topic on my podcast a couple times. Um, but yeah, so I was, uh, you know, adopted, uh, put up for adoption, 
They were in California in 1967. You know, thank God they were Catholic because uh, no birth control and no abortion. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all grateful for that. So I made it into the world uh, and then I was adopted by my mom and well, I didn't have any recollection at the time, but she, it was her first husband and her who adopted me. And then he quickly kind of left after that, which was a good thing because he was not a good person. But when I was six, that was the first time my mom told me I was adopted. And worse. That's early. Don't you think that's actually early? That was very, I, I don't very know. Close. Looking back now, I wish she would have told me earlier because the reason she told me was because you're getting on a plane by yourself to fly to California to see your quote unquote dad, her oh first husband. Yeah. That was traumatic. I still have that getting dressed to go to the airport, which is crying you know, uncontrollably. Oh, and yeah. I still, I don't remember much from when I was really young, but I remember that. Um, and that was a horrible experience. I hated him. I don't think he liked me very much. And I think that had a really big impression on me. A year later, my mom remarried, and that's who I call dad. Um, Nice. And he is amazing. So it all worked out. But but you know childhood is a funny thing. And it took me to the age of 40 to realize that I had abandonment issues. You know, you're given up at birth. Then your first, quote, unquote, dad leaves. You know, I mean. Yeah. So this has fueled me as an entrepreneur in two ways. Number one. This is where my attitude comes from. I'll push you away before you can reject me, or at least I used to, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think my very independent streak comes from. On the same, the same other side of the coin, I'm a people pleaser. Like a lot of, you know, you grow up just trying to make sure that no one ditches you again, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so like I'm this fiercely independent giver. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it's worked for me because it allows me to be bold as an entrepreneur and to, and to stand out and, and do things differently and kind of hold my own ground, which is invaluable. And you can't really teach it, I don't think. Um, and yet I'm always trying to put, whether it be the audience, business partners, uh, customers, what have you, trying to think of their interests first. And I mean, I think that's a very simple golden rule to business, which is, What's in it for the other person? Figure that out, and then you can you can get what you want in return. Um, so there's your long answer to that wow. simple question. <laughs> I'm very driven as well. I grew up without a lot of money, um, with five oh, that, kids. There was that too. I didn't even get to that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, five kids, uh, three bedroom house, one bathroom. I remember one time when my sister was in the bathroom, and I had to go, so I banged the door and I like bent the lock, and she couldn't get out. <laughs> no. <laughs> All those crazy memories, but it it does help drive you because I don't think any of us come from lack, you know, when we're born. I mean, it's our birthright to be happy and to have all we want, but sometimes these experiences that we're put into and our environment kind of change our perspective. And it's great you've been able to work through that. And do yeah, the key is that as soon as you know you you have enough degree of self awareness or just a desire to figure out why you are the way you are. And then you're like, oh, okay, I can accept this. And that's when you start healing, I guess, for lack of a better term. And you just, and and when you do start seeing yourself exhibit this behavior that you've kind of had your entire life that has helped and harmed you, depending on the context, then you can stop doing it, right? right? I think only when people don't examine their own lives that they just 
go the whole time being kind of in the dark and miserable. I love that sort of recklessness that you're saying and, and probably curiosity and the fact that you're independent, but a, but a, a giver too. So it, I bet it's so much of a Masogi method type attitude where you just go for those big reaches. So let's talk about copy blogger. I mean, you, you read this book by Seth Godin, you start to think about the internet, you think about what you can offer. And then this copy blogger idea comes about, like, how did that start to gel for you? Well, really, so 99 was when I kind of started figuring out. Um, and then I started publishing an online newsletter for my little law practice. And I was I was getting more potential clients than I could handle. Um, and it was just amazing to me, you know? So that was a light bulb moment. And so then I started thinking about, you know, this is a little chip on the shoulder thing. It's like, okay, I need to start a business that's not law, you know, to be a real entrepreneur. Uh, and I decided on real estate, a brokerage, because... Mm. Partly because of what I was seeing the way, the way real estate was being marketed online. Uh, this was when the MLS was first allowed on in the internet. I was actually living in Dallas at the time, and they were one of the first realtor associations to allow that. So when I figured that out, and of course, commissions, you make a lot of money in real estate, obviously. My sure. legal background enhanced my credibility, but I didn't have to rely on it. Um, so it just all kind of came together, but mainly it was I understood online marketing and no one else in real estate. God, it was, I always, I always like to say they didn't have any idea what they were doing back then. So it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Fast forward 18, 17 years and they still largely don't know what they're doing. I don't I understand the real it's estate amazing. industry, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, and I had people saying, you know, it's going to take you four years to get off the ground. It took, three months, you know, uh, wow. it was amazing because again, if you can bring in business, that's more than half the battle. You know, my problem was that I was not good at everything else. I mean, I was good with people. Uh, but once I started, you know, bringing in other realtors to handle, uh, you know, the showings and all that kind of stuff, I wasn't very good at managing people. I just expected them to know what to do like I did. See, that's just terrible, you know, right there. I but, was going to ask you what <laughs> kind of a manager you are. You just oh, terrible, that. terrible. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, but at the same time, I would never let a client suffer. So I would just work too hard. You know, I would just work, 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 work. And by that time I had gotten married and had a three-year-old daughter and, uh, and then a son on the way. Um, and I, all of a sudden I found myself, well, I work for myself, I own my own company and I'm still not happy. <laughs> um, so at that point I, I just decided I don't want to have a client-based business. Um, I need to figure out a way to get people, other people to do the things that I'm not good at. And, uh, you know, and I, and specifically didn't want to be, uh, constrained by geography. I wanted to be what they now call location independent. Uh, even though I kind of didn't take advantage of that for quite a while. Um, but it's nice to have the option. Anyway, so what I had been doing, you know, from 99 to 2005 is now called content marketing. Didn't have a name back then. I didn't really, you know, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't an industry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was blogging and there was SEO and social media wasn't ready yet. I mean, do you remember back before Facebook and Twitter, social media was blogs 
I mean, <laughs> that's what it was. In fact, uh, I could even take you back further. I, after I worked at CBS, I started a software company and it was basically the eBay of airtime. So selling uh, airtime because my assistant had this box on her desk and I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm sending the orders over the phone lines. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so that got me thinking about this eBay, but, but it was two years too early. And then the internet wasn't quite to where you are because I'm a couple years older than you. And Reuters ended up doing my exact business two years later. Oh, wow. Sometimes it's timing, right? Well, in the 90s, a lot of it was timing. And of course, we had to experience the dot-com implosion with all those horrendous business models. You know, I wasn't very sophisticated in business at that time. I was a liberal arts major who went to law school. But even I was looking at this going, I don't think this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. How are all these people going to make money? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then we found out they're not. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so with the copy blogger, so you were doing the real estate and oh, then yeah. realized this content um, marketing became this new buzz. Well, it wasn't yet. It didn't have a name still. Okay, so, okay. But – I, blogging was becoming commercial. Okay. Blogging had been very kind of kumbaya. I think all things on the internet start off in a very pure state and then money rears its ugly head. So um, but at that time, you know, there were these new sites pro blogger by my friend, Darren Rouse. There was another site that was dedicated to uh, blogging. Um, one of the guys there was Chris Garrett, who now works for us. And I was looking at, you know, they were giving basically, it's writing advice, right? In the context of, of technology. Um, and, you know, but they were making the same mistakes I was making in 1998, which was, it was all about advertising, which requires just massive amounts of traffic. And as the years have gone on, the advert online advertising industry has gotten worse. It, I mean, every, almost everyone recognizes now that it's a horrible way to monetize online content. Yeah, I agree. So, and, I, and I was going to ask you, because my investment banking, you know, career, that next career, um, how is he monetizing this? Because it's like cents, it's like pennies on a dollar. It's like sh um, trading shares of stock, you know, being an institutional sales guy. I mean, it's just, it's, you can't really maximize that or monetize that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, there's a lot of figuring things out. The problem with the internet at first was everyone was exporting or basically introducing offline concepts online. And, and again, that was where everyone went wrong and had to figure out, hey, this is kind of a unique medium, right? We have to think differently about it. So anyway, I see, I see that no one, and also I had taught myself copywriting over the course of several years because when you're doing business online, you know, even with a client-based model, you have to get people, you have to persuade people to contact you, you know, that you're the right choice. So, so anyway, put all those things together. And I came up with the idea for a blogging concept that uh, it wasn't really competitive with the other sites. It was complimentary. I mean, I would yeah. talk about thing, I would talk about writing, but I would, you know, two things introduce the idea that some copywriting principles should be applied to content to make it more engaging, like headlines and and storytelling and, you know, the way you open an article, all these things have an effect. So that was one thing that, that set CopyBlogger apart. That's the copy part. And then the other thing was a little more, believe it or not, controversial at the time, you should not sell advertising, you should sell stuff. And some <laughs> of the old, you know, 
products and services. And some of the old guard bloggers at that time lost their mind. But what they didn't realize, like they would, you know, there were some people who just took me to task saying I didn't get it. And, you know, this is not what blogging is about. But there was this discipline called business blogging. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was emerging. So the guys that criticized me, they did link to me and their audience said, no, I want to hear what he has to say. And copyblogger just took off. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and that was the beginning of it. Didn't have a product or service in mind. My, my basic plan was build an audience, pay attention to the frustrations, the problems, the desires that they express, and then you'll know what products to develop. And so what do you have for sale? Are they <laughs> courses? So the first product in 2007 was, uh, yeah, online education. Uh, that was 18 months after I started it. And I very carefully contemplated this. The other thing I did at that time was, remember I said I needed to find people to do stuff I wasn't good at. Yes. And I, did, I took a partnering approach because I didn't want to raise money. And so at that point, I partnered with Tony Clark, No Relation, he is now my COO, but he, he was my COO then, effectively. But he was a jack of all trades. I mean, he was really good at operational stuff. He could do design. He could code a little. And the two of us together built this uh, online education business. Uh, we launched it. We went from zero to six figures in a week, and we That's were at seven. Brian. We were at seven figures in a year. So that was the beginning. <laughs> wow. Um, the next year, I got into the nascent WordPress space. Uh, at first, you know, with any open source thing, at first everything's free and then it shifts to commercial. And, and that started, uh, the, the shift to paid products related to WordPress started in 2007 by a guy named Brian Gardner, mm-hmm. who is now my business partner. Um, he was the first guy to sell uh, themes or designs for WordPress for money instead of giving away the, for free ostensibly though what you're doing is you're selling support because if you charge money you can afford to support the product and the all the free themes out there were not supported at all so i heard how much money he was making from that which was substantial (laughs) and then my uh my designer at the time and i uh teamed up we created the first design framework uh for wordpress it's kind of a it's a more powerful thing that allows you to do things as a non-technical person, meaning you don't have to get into the code. Um, and so that's kind what of I'll, like, kind of like Wix. A little like that, but it wasn't a website builder because that's not how WordPress works. At least it hasn't historically. Um, but you know, my audience were basically writers, not technicians. So that took off. Uh, that was soon doing, $10,000 a day in sales. So that was crazy. And then wow. the next year we did our first SaaS. And the year after that, uh, I ditched my designer because we got and decided he didn't need me anymore. And he quickly learned otherwise. But, <laughs> but I left that business. Uh, at that point, we had all these separate businesses that I'd launched off Copyblogger, all with different partners. So I merged them all together to form what is now Rainmaker Digital Studio Press, founded by Brian Gardner. Uh, joined us and we became one company. So that's another thing that we sell. StudioPress.com sells WordPress themes and hosting. 
Wow, that's amazing. It's just, you know, it, to me, it's like you've just followed your instinct and you've paid attention to all those signs along the way. And, and if the partnership felt right and it made sense to you, even when people are calling you out saying, you know, you don't know what you're doing, you, you still went for it. Yeah. And it helps to be in emerging markets, you know, if you're willing. I mean, you, you see what's coming. I think a lot of people can see what's coming. It's whether or not you will act on it, you know, because kind of said something on Twitter that was very popular the other day, which was basically like everyone says they wish they got on, got in early on whatever next big thing there is, but they won't do it. You could tell them what the next big thing is and they won't do it. Yeah. Right. People are, people are afraid to act. They're, they're afraid. You know, when I was doing my TEDx talk about the Masogi idea of the Masogi method and really going for that big reach and it's not too unlike that book 10 X, but it takes it even further. Um, you know, p- people are afraid to even set the, the, the smaller goals. But when you set something big enough, then you invest much more in it. And so, you know, when you jumped into this, these partnerships, you just, you just kept investing more and more and look what ended up happening. Yeah, if you look at it from the, the standpoint of today, it looks like I was just brilliant every step of the way. And we never did have a product fail. Um, but but really, what really happened is you just go about, you pay attention, you serve your audience, they give you indications of where things are going and what they need, and then you do the next thing. I really had this year-by-year thing. It's no mistake that we launched a major new thing every year between, say, 2007 and 2014. Mm-hmm. So I noticed a couple of new things. Well, I mean, unemployable isn't, how many episodes do you have up on unemployable now? So I only know this because I was just getting ready to publish the latest episode. It's 118. Wow, that's great. So it just makes sense to me, unemployable. I mean, that's you. (laughs) Yeah, I was so thrilled to be able to get the unemployable.com. And it didn't even cost that much because the person who had it thinks about it in terms of its literal meaning, not the meaning that entrepreneurs jokingly have, (laughs) which means you can't hire me. Yeah. In fact, my dad, ever since I left investment banking, told me you were certifiably unemployable. And I just laughed when I found your podcast. I just started Mm -hmm. laughing. But I have to tell you about this article I read in Inc. Magazine. You know if you are unemployable, if any of these things ring true. So let me see if any of these ring true for you. You're smarter than your boss, even though you don't have, you know, may not have an MBA or a, a law degree. Did you ever feel like you were smarter than your boss when you were a lawyer? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I had several bosses that were some of the meanest attorneys ever. And I always ended up with these guys. Um, Cause you were a people pleaser. <laughs> no, no, because I was really smart about yes. law. Like these guys are, are trial attorneys. Okay. So they're, they're big on personality and bluster, but they need someone to make sure they're not saying the wrong thing. If only, you know, the administration felt that way, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) but yeah, so I ended up getting paired with these guys and I hated them (laughs) at the time, but now I look back and I realize they taught me so much, but was I smarter than them at about law? Yeah. But that's the law is the least important part of practicing law, which is shocking for people to figure out. But I think it's becoming more commonly known. You know, it's it's about psychology and it's about perception and it's about all these other things that are involved. But you got to know the law too 
it's right. just usually not the determinative thing. So I guess I felt at the time, I certainly felt like I was smarter. Than they were. Yeah. You had more emotional intelligence for sure. Okay. Here's number two. You know, you're certifi- certifiably unemployable if you get distracted easily. Uh, I think that's true until I set my mind, until I figure out what I need to do next. And then I'll just kind of literally drop into flow, especially if it involves writing, you know, and you cannot shake me off of it. But yeah, the rest of the time, I'm kind of like flitting from thing to thing. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of times we do our best writing at the last minute. I don't know about you, but when I write under pressure, I I am good against the wall, back against the wall. And it's maddening because you really should train yourself to be ahead of the curve. And every time I hear of someone, who, you know, writes stuff months in advance. I'm like, I hate you, you know, that, but I think I get my best stuff by doing what it is right there in the moment and publish it that day or the next day. So different styles. Yeah. I'm, I'm more like you. It's almost like inspired action. I've, I have an article due for another magazine tomorrow and I've written parts of it and then I've gone back and I was working on it when I got up this morning and I pounded it out. Because yeah. it's due tomorrow. <laughs> and everything <laughs> Funny I how that works. <laughs> yeah, okay, so here's number three. You think visually. Hmm. Probably. Were you seeing the big picture? Were you like you're, you're seeing Oh, big picture for down. sure. In fact, it's weird that I, I can – the people who work for me will tell you that – that I am obsessed about details because I, my, my philosophy is I don't know which details matter, but in the aggregate they matter. Right. So just pay attention to every detail. And yet my job is to think about the big picture and see as far down the road as I can, which online means anything beyond a year, you're just kidding yourself. You know, (laughs) I know I want to ask you what the next big thing is, but we'll get to that. Okay. And then the last one is, um, you have trouble listening to others and maybe that goes (laughs) with what you said. You you found out you knew what you weren't good at, but you knew what you were good at. Yeah. Um, I'm much better than I used to be, but that is absolutely true because I think so, you know, I basically say Myers-Briggs is discredited by now, but I'm a textbook INTJ, you know, personality wise. Uh, those are my traits. I don't know what that, if it necessarily means anything, but that, that's who I am, which means you're really thinking all the time about what you can build. And you're usually doing that when someone's trying to tell you something else and you're just kind of like, uh-huh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're already, you're already beyond. But that is a terrible way to treat people. So <laughs> as I've gotten older, I work on that a lot. <laughs> oh, classic. So you, you actually fit the bill for, for being unemployable, but, but you made these amazing things, Brian. So, okay. So let's, so this unemployable, I've listened to a number of them and it's just each one brings such incredible, valuable information and perspective. Do you have a favorite episode? Well, it's, uh, this is just, you know, based on personal whatever, but it also content wise was amazing. And that is, uh, I've, well, I've actually interviewed Henry Rollins twice, um, only once for unemployable. Henry Rollins was a lead singer of black flag, but of course he went on to become a spoken word artist and a writer and a TV and film star, you know, he's an amazing guy, more integrity than, 50 average people put together. <laughs> um, but so here's what happened. Um, we used to put on an annual event through Copy Blogger. Um, we took a break from that uh, in the last couple of years, but I was always trying to do something spectacular 
And that one year it was having Henry Rollins do the closing keynote. And I couldn't even believe he agreed to do it, you know, but uh, yeah. So he, he ended up coming, doing a closing keynote. He just stood there at the mic with his feet planted for an hour and blew the room away. It was amazing. Um, but in the run up to the event, he agreed to do a podcast interview with me on a, a former podcast I used to have. So the second time around, I was like, what the hell? What do I got to lose? He, at least he knows who I am. And uh, I asked him if he would do another one. And it was fantastic, of course. You know, basically, Henry is an entrepreneur. And he very much sees himself that way, even though he's also a musician and an actor and an artist. They're not so different, at least in, in a certain perspective. You will meet some people that are, have the holier-than-thou artistic <laughs> attitude. But that's not, I'm not really attracted to that. So Yeah, it's funny. I interviewed Aaron Chang on one of my first episodes. He's probably the most famous ocean and surf photographer in the world. He oh, cool. Surfing magazine for like 26 years. But he thinks of himself as a surfer. Oh, and, okay. Well, yeah, there's I mean, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it was all about. But, but because of his understanding of surfing, the way he photographs the waves or someone in a barrel or, or um, uh, up here is from a whole different understanding and perspective that makes his, his work really, really valuable. And he's extremely successful. So, so essentially he's like, I am one of this tribe. I just happen to also document it. And that's, yeah, that's actually a, something I agree with highly. I mean, I've always say, if you want to be a leader, you got to join the group first and then exactly. somehow inspire people to follow you. So that's so true. And so, okay. So you said you launch something new every year and now it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, but further, is that your newest venture? Well, that's a personal thing. That's not uh, the big company, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, both further and unemployable are my personal projects. They don't make further makes no money. <laughs> unemployable makes yes. money from sponsorships, yes. right? Not yet. Exactly. <laughs> And, and more and more, I realize that it, it will be my next business. Well, you know, so, it reminds me a lot, Brian, of Ariana Huffington's platform, Thrive Global. You know, um, that's funny. I actually started further before Thrive started, but of course, Ariana has that major bank. So, <laughs> yes, she sort of has a little bit of a backing, but um, I yeah. wrote for her at HuffPost, and then she invited me to write for Thrive Global. So, I write, um, I've written maybe seven or eight articles but i'm just getting busy. how do you how do you find that because i i would consider writing for them you know sure. just to... um well i you know here you go these serendipitous things these these partnerships um i know the main investment banker that was responsible for her launching thrive global mm. and we were talking one day he had read my most recent book and he says hey you know what i want to i want to introduce you to ariana and so i get an email from her Hey, Jody, we'd love to have you write for us. Oh, nice. It was awesome. You didn't talk to the editor or something. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Ariana is going to hit me up and invite me to write for her. That's it pretty cool. It was very sweet, but it was through that introduction. It, yeah, it was, it was that's through nice. Him. But um, yeah, it's like, I, I'm like you. I put myself out there. I'm curious. You seem to me to be such a curious guy because you're looking at what your audience wants and, and you're saying, how can I answer that problem? How can I solve that for them? How can I provide something valuable that's going to really make them be successful in their own lives? Right. Well, here's something interesting for you then is further was started solely for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm naturally inclined to, uh, to build audiences so that comes out but 
I always say further, at least, you know, at the end of 2014, when I started it, it was like therapy for me because I was always kind of hardcore dismissive of most personal growth stuff. And I was always kind of thinking in terms of Tony Robbins and that kind of cult of personality thing. And I hated that, you know, again, here, there's that attitude, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then that. I realized that that work was my entire life. Uh, I had designed my work uh, life very intentionally so that it made me happy. But I, instead of, you know, I, I started out with copy blogger really for it to be kind of a lifestyle business. And then all of a sudden we're doing eight figures in sales and I'm just like, you know, that's, I just kind of got fueled up to where we got to go bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I did a little reflecting and I said, you know, this isn't what you set out to do. You, you wanted to be a writer and now you, as CEO, you, you're, you don't have time to write. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I started reexamining things, but really I just started paying attention to different forms of information. Um, you know, got into meditation, which is obviously we know the benefits of now, but that was something I would have kind of laughed at. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the more I dug in, the more I'm like, well, you know, there's good stuff out there. This is helpful. So I further was just me sharing that stuff. And a lot of, you know, instead of writing original content, it was just curating. It was, here's the stuff out of all the articles I ran across. This is the 10 best things. And I do a weekly uh, newsletter, email, um, and uh, that's it. And then, you know, thousands of people said, okay, I like that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's, that's really what I do too, in terms of this, the whole Masogi method. Have you ever thought about um, doing a TED talk or have, or a TEDx talk? Have you, I don't think you've done one, have you? No. Um, and it's funny because Boulder uh, TEDx is one of the biggest. I am really good friends with Andrew Hyde who founded it. Erin yeah. uh, Weed is also someone who lives here in Boulder. She is a TEDx speaker trainer. And I've worked with her in a different context on stuff and she's excellent, but you know what? I just, I don't know why I just, I'm not driven to do it. Maybe that will change. Um, I did a TEDx style presentation at a conference before it was short, intense, and it was about further and I loved it. <laughs> so I think I'm in a transition, right? I think I rejected you know, the whole idea of personal branding. I wanted to create a brand or brands that are bigger than me. I don't feel I'm an introvert by nature. Uh, I'm not shy. That's not the same thing, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I just never wanted things to be about me. And I think I realized, you know, I, I wrote an article and published it uh, today. And it was about me. Nice. Now it was in a way that I felt was instructive for the audience. So I'm always, I'm still going to think that way. I'm like, is this good for them? Or am I just talking about myself? <laughs> well, you know, people want to know you too. And I know. Of... And I've heard that over and over over the years. Tell us more, tell us more. Like people are asking you to do it. And I'm like, nah, you don't want to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> but your story is so, the great thing about it, Brian, is that people will identify with you. And they'll, and they'll just want to be more part of your tribe. Yeah, I, I'm coming to feel that. Good. I love it. Um, okay, so let me ask you sort of some, you know, classic quick questions, and then I'll let you go because 
everything you said so far has been so amazing. Um, and then I'll ask you for some last minute advice for people. But we kind of talked about some of your stumbling blocks along the way already. When you had stumbling blocks or directions that you maybe thought you didn't want to go in, how did you deal with it? Were you able just to, to get over them and move on? Or did you sort of hold on to things that didn't work out? We rarely hold on. You know, we, we'd never abandon something until we're sure. But there's a very uh, distinct, I mean, there's, there's four other partners in, in, the, in the larger business. Uh, but there, you know, the first one was Tony. And there is a special dynamic between the two of us. I mean, he's, he knows me, I think, better than almost anyone. And we just have these conversations and we figure things out. We have this saying that we do what's indicated. It's kind of a Zen thing, but mm-hmm. that it's observation and informed action. So that's how we proceed. So if something's not working, if we can figure out why pretty quickly, then you just pivot right then. You know, you don't make a big deal about it. You just, you just do. And that's our approach. The other partners are sometimes mystified by the two of us, but Again, when you when you develop a track record, people start to trust you. <laughs> right. and, and your instinct has guided you so well. I mean, right. What do you think is the next big thing? I mean, it, you've sort of taken the lead on everything you've done on the internet with the writing and the education and now your personal projects. But what do you think in general is sort of the next big online thing? Oh, gosh, that's... Uh... It's difficult to say in a lot of areas in my, you know, in the area that I've known for in expertise, um, basically using content for marketing. Um, personalization is the next big thing. Now, this has been something at the level of Amazon and Netflix and, you know, really expensive and really sophisticated. Uh, but the, the technology always catches up to where I think uh, you're going to see more and more just basic websites that you deal with will adapt to the user's interest, expectations, past behavior, all of this stuff's got to be done in an ethical and above board way, especially with the new EU regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, But people want that kind of personalized experience. And I think even small websites that don't do it will lose out to their competition who does, because, you know, it's kind of like, I I use the analogy of, um, Business websites at the beginning were basically just brochures, you know, Mm -hmm. and then content revolution happened, uh, starting with blogging and then really kind of taking off in 2000, I'd say eight is a a good compromise there. That's when content marketing got its name, (laughs) two years after I started talking about it. Um, But, uh, and so that made the brochure site unacceptable, right? So I think you're about to see the same thing happen with the fact that people are going to want an experience where everything is relevant. Not with, you're not hunting for the answer. You're not necessarily just trying to figure out the navigation. And, and of course you have to have some relationship with the visitor for most stuff in order to create a truly personalized thing. Um, because it, it really is driven by email segmentation. Email is still the most important marketing channel online. I know that blows everyone's mind, but it's true. Even millennials like email. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) not all texting, not all texting. Have you heard of, this is something I just started doing the Alexa flash briefing. So I've got uh, friends that uh, are into the Alexa thing. 
here's my issue. I'm not as much into it because I don't want one in my house. I mean, I'm trying to cut down on my technology, (laughs) you know, isn't it weird because I was fascinated with technology and that's why I went on the path that I did. And now like a lot of people, I'm going, what have we done? (laughs) Yeah, but what happens when it can open your refrigerator for you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, no, I do one called a skill called today's happiness tips. And it's part of the Alexa flash briefing that people can. So how did you do this? What's the procedure? So I can tell you about it all offline, but basically. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, Sounds involved. <laughs> it's a little involved, but I can point you to everything you need to do to capture your skill. And then, you know, what platforms you load it on and how it funnels and how you get approved from Amazon. That's cool. Um, I mean, uh, cause yeah. I think we're seeing that it's going to be the next, that's a big next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole concept of, of just voice everything. So that means that impacts search and it's a completely different animal than text-based SEO. Right. So right, right. that is an important thing. Yeah. I'll tell you about it. And um, I mean, I would go grab that further skill quickly. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's your um, identity with that project, but um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a couple, just a couple more quick questions. Do you have a best piece that you ever wrote that you love? Hmm. Or a best headline? Make it easier. Oh, that's even worse. Oh. I mean, so I'll, it's been twelve years on Copy Blogger, so I go back in the archives. I'm like, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I, feeling. <laughs> I don't remember half of it. <laughs> I mean, I know the stuff, but I didn't remember specifically writing that thing. Just because you've written so many of them. Let, let me tie this together with you know something we were just talking about, which is telling people more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I guess the first couple of years, I was even worse than now (laughs) if I sound reluctant um, about talking about myself because that was the stereotype of bloggers, right? They were self-indulgent. We talk about themselves and ramble on about stuff that no one cared about. So I wanted to make sure I was a polar opposite of that. But I went, I spoke at this conference in Chicago in 2008 and it was a very it was a little more touchy-feely than my usual gig, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was still good. A lot of great people, friends to this day, and um, there was a presentation given there that was very, very personal, um, and it kind of ended uh, with this foot foot stomp and an Oprah quote that was basically, uh, how dare you think that you can live the life you want, and then closer was how dare you not it was amazing yeah so uh i got a lot of people uh the, the person who gave that presentation and other people who were in the audience said how come you never do anything personal and, mm-hmm. and of course i gave the answer that i gave you right exactly <laughs> um but i started thinking about it and on the flight home from chicago i wrote a post uh, about, see, I, I didn't tell you what else happened in 2005 that made me leave the real estate business and start copy blogger. Okay. Uh, I had a snowboarding accident where I wiped out pretty hard. Um, didn't know it at the time, but I had a slow leak, uh, between my skull and the, and brain, the dura subdural hematoma, right? Oh, wow. If it was a, if it was a quick bleed, I would have died. Uh, Liam Neeson's wife died from a similar injury, Mm -hmm. just horrible. Head injuries are a serious thing. And I think 
God, that, that wow. the, the attention to concussions, that dialogue is, is coming out because it's a big deal. Anyway, so of course I'm an idiot. And even though, you know, I'm having headaches and all this stuff, I would find reasons why it was no big deal. My wife was eight months pregnant. Uh, you know, then my son decided he would give us a lot of false starts. Uh, we'd go, <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I have three hold... kids. I'm, I'm I'm starting to have a vision here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's a lot of stress, and I'm working really hard. All that kind of good stuff. You know, my head hurts all the time. Finally, it got to the point, the beginning of May, and I started hallucinating. And oh, no. so my wife drags me out of bed, takes me to the hospital. Uh, they do a, I guess it was um, not a CAT scan. The other like thing, an MRI or MRI, yes. And, uh, and they come out and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't care if they tell me <laughs> I'm dying. Just, it, you know, if I die, it's over, it'll stop hurting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or if it's something else, maybe they can fix it. And instead they came out and they were like, you're getting in the ambulance right now. And they took me to the hospital and I had emergency brain surgery. I mean, I had this huge oh pool God. of blood pressing against my brain. I was very, very close to death. I don't know exactly, but it wasn't days. It was more like hours. Wow. Um, so I had surgery because the blood had accumulated so much. It was kind of more complicated. It was actually a craniotomy. That's what Lance Armstrong had with the tumor in his brain. Mm -hmm. um, but I came through it great, <laughs> which is rare, I found out later. No one told me the odds before. Um, in fact, <laughs> I felt smarter after it happened, <laughs> but I, I had this kind of epiphany, you know, in the recovery or, or really in my, in my hospital room after surgery, kind of like, you know, I don't know, just something that you're trying to achieve with meditation. I would put it that way of, uh, you know, a flash of enlightenment. And I just realized that even though I had my own business, I was I had no interest in real estate. I chose it as a way to make money and to prove that I could start a real quote unquote business, right? right. Um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I just had that flash of insight and that I was continuing with it because I did feel an obligation to my family to keep making, I was making a decent amount of money at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that, I, that was just what I was supposed to do. And I was just like, no, you're, no you don't. Like in an instant, I was like, that's stupid. <laughs> wow. You know, it, it's stupid to, to do that to yourself, but what are your, what are your kids going to think of you when you're miserable and you, you know, you're just not a good dad. You know, you have an obligation to be a good dad, which means you have an obligation to be happy. I mean, that's, that's just, I truly believe that doesn't mean that you, you don't work hard or do anything to take care of them. I would, I will, I do. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to do it in a way that uh, I enjoy what I'm doing. And that was really the catalyst. So I wrote a post about that. And, of course, the response was, this is the best thing you've ever written. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I can't believe this. Wow. You know. Well, so, maybe that was the answer to my question. What was the best piece you ever wrote? I, I guess, I mean, in a way it was. Because it, just like you're encouraging me to open up more because people want to actually know a little bit about the people behind, you know, the business or the educational content, whatever the case may be. 
that proved it to me. I still haven't gotten all that personal. <laughs> I think that that's very personable. I mean, I know I've taken that Myers-Briggs too. I think I felt literally exactly in the middle of introvert and extrovert. And you would think I am a total extrovert, but I love my alone time. Yeah. And so I was smack in the middle, which probably makes me kind of weird, but <laughs> we're all weird. I don't think it's weird. Way. Actually. What, what is it? Uh, ambivert. That's what you are. And, oh. and some would probably argue that's what I am too, because I can turn it on. It's just that, you know, I, I speak, you know, in public that used to terrify me. Mm -hmm. um, but I started doing it in 2007 and I'm not scared at all. I don't think I'm great, but I'm not scared. And confidence is half the battle. I know what I'm talking about and I'm not afraid. And that's generally pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. So, so Brian, I just think you're a fascinating person, first of all, and entrepreneur second, because, you know, we really all should be who we authentically are in this world. And I think that's where true happiness comes from. And it sounds like you're really starting to see that in yourself. Um, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs out there who are wanting to either leave that job they've, they took because they had to, or they were doing what you were doing with real estate just to make the money and they may have some other passion. What, what advice would you have for them? I think uh, it's the same advice that I give to people who are trying to market in this day and age and an entrepreneur is ultimately a marketer because you are bringing a new something to market, right? Right. Um, there's this tendency to try to avoid offending anyone, uh, this worry that you'll, you'll just be yourself, say the wrong thing, and someone will unfollow you on Twitter or, or tell you they don't like you. You know what? Good. That's <laughs> what modern marketing is. That's what modern entrepreneurship is. We talk about it. tribes. Yeah, I'm sorry. It shouldn't be this way. If I could make the world into a perfect place, it wouldn't be tribal, but it is. So be yourself and attract your people. And if other people don't like it, be happy. That's good. That means it's working. <laughs> right. Exactly. I love it. And so that leads me to what advice do you have for people seeking happiness, which is really where you're going with further. And from my perspective, you know, and that's yeah. something I talk about and each person I interview or the articles I write are all about finding that happiness that we all, that's our birthright. So what's your advice for people seeking happiness that you have found? I mean, our business has been more successful than I realistically even contemplated. Okay. But you know what? Money isn't it. <laughs> Money doesn't make you happy. Money does not suck. I like it quite a bit, but it's not the thing that's going to make you happy. So if you do things that make you unhappy in order to make money, guess where you are? You're unhappy, you know? Exactly. So that, that's reality, you know? Um, do something that you enjoy. And the odd thing is, that's when you'll just, you might make more money than you were aiming to make. I mean, at, when I quit practicing law, I said, if I can just survive, I'm okay. As long as I'm doing what I want to do and I'm my own boss. Okay. Did much better than that. I, you know, within several years, I was making more than the partners at my old law firm. That's, that's good. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And then with copy blogger, you know, in that 2005, after I woke up from surgery, I was like, I don't care as long as I can support my family. And, and do things the way I want to do, that's okay. And then my income, personal income went into the seven figures. So I don't know, 
I, um, I don't want to be one of those guys that just says money doesn't matter. Of course it matters, but I've found that when you're doing work that you truly love, you tend to make more money, not the other way around where you're doing what it takes because you need that money for whatever, you know, I'm going to retire someday or put my kids in Harvard or, you know, all those sort of external goals, they and look then, good on paper, but they're not the thing, you know? Right. And then also it seems to me like you had a lot of patience as you were building each of these platforms. I mean, right now, like you said, Further's not making anything, but you know, it probably will. The more that we do what we love, I do think the money follows. Yeah. Patience is important. Um, which is why, unlike me, you should probably not just quit your job. <laughs> I mean, it's been 20 years ago. Everything turned out okay. But uh, I think I mentioned to you offline that, that yeah, maybe that was a bit reckless. But then again, I was younger. <laughs> so right, right. so I could, you can be a little reckless. Um, but now, you know, I mean, I'm really interested in in really speaking to people our age, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. with, with the advances in, in uh, healthy aging and, and longevity, I mean, generation X is going to be probably the first generation that lives substantially longer. I know they're going after all the boomer money, but, <laughs> right, but, no, <laughs> but you know, it takes right. time for these things to happen, even though there's been a lot of advances in, in uh, these magic pills that are supposed to help us live longer, but it'll probably be, my generation that that gets a boost and so what are you going to do now you know most of gen x is in their 40s you could have an entire other career mm-hmm. T- choose now you know <laughs> yeah exactly i love it well brian thank you so much for being on the masogi method you just ma- you're making me smile i just had such a lovely lovely time talking to you and i wish you continued success and then i'll get back with you offline and tell you all how to do your alexa skill cool yeah and and yeah it's been very enjoyable speaking to you i think we're kindred spirits and everyone out there if you haven't bought drift to shift and that's where you're at in your life jody's book is really good so get it oh thanks brian <laughs> and that's so sweet of you and to all our listeners this is jody b miller i'm your host of the masogi method and we will see you next time
Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%. APR, 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.